Welcome to the Why Your Bank Sucks podcast. My name is James Buck, and I'm here to tell you why your bank does, in fact, suck very much. Uh, before I start with today's topic, I actually wanted to thank a lot of you guys who've reached out to me uh, via Twitter and email about my most recent podcast about mental health and banking. Um, I got to tell you, it was probably one of my most personal episodes I've ever done. It was something that, you know, I discussed a lot of things that I probably didn't even discuss with my wife, you know, about what was going on with me while working at Bank of America and what was going on with customers while I was working there as well. And, you know, I got to tell you, the, the amount of feedback that I got from it was immense. I did throw some hashtags, Mental Health Awareness Month and Mental Health and all that on Twitter. And I had a reach for this podcast far beyond any podcast that I've done. And I only um, posted it a few days ago. It's an amazing topic. And it's something that I have so much more to talk about um, with this particular topic that I am going to do a sequel uh, to this podcast um, about mental health and banking sometime in the next week or so. So this podcast will be about something else. But I definitely want to talk uh, more stories about what was going on while working at Bank of America, both with me and both with the environment, with employees and, and the clients and whatnot. It was really serious stuff. And I, I got to admit, I was a little emotional after that podcast. Um, but it's very therapeutic to talk about these things now, to get them out there and to have other people listen and to have other people talk about these things with me too has been really, really important for me. And I got to tell you, thank you again from the bottom of my heart for listening to that one because it was, um, it was a pretty, pretty emotional podcast. I got, I got to tell you, I try to not tie in my emotions with the things that I talk about because I one want to be fair and, you know, balanced when it comes to discussing these things. And two, you know, it's not about me. Yes, I have issues with the way I left my company. I have issues with the way they treated me and the way they treat others. But you know what? It's about you guys, the listeners, the clients of these banks, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm trying to I'm trying to get my soul back, guys, and I'm going to work really hard for you guys when it comes to finding out a better way to bank for you all. So, of course, we'll get to that um, next week as well. But today's topic is going to be something that's um, really fresh on my brain one year later, uh, May 3rd, 2019 was the one year anniversary of helping the person that I assisted at my bank that ended up getting me fired. It was May 3rd, 2018, where I, I helped a 25 year old woman open an account with me in my office and it kind of led to the demise of, uh, James, the, the banker. James, the employee of Bank of America, and James, the trusted community person um, that works in New Mexico here. And and I got to tell you, it was a whirlwind on how I lost my job, but the seeds of what happened were planted in May. Got fired in August, but in May, the conversation that I had with this person led to my demise. Today's podcast is just going to briefly touch on exactly what went on to cause that, why I think it happened, and and kind of, without getting too conspiracy theory-like here, why I think that under a normal set of rules, I would still actually be employed at Bank of America. So this one's going to be a little bit more personal, and I'm going to try really hard not to be, you know, angry or frustrated about it, because I've made my peace with it. I, I probably wouldn't be working there right now, to be honest with you, even if I didn't lose my job, because... The amount of stress that uh, banks are putting on the associates and branches is just immense. So May the 3rd, 2018 was a Thursday. 
if you don't know by now, the third is the busiest day of the month um, inside a bank branch. The first of the month is always a joke because, you know, welfare and food stamps and whatnot. You know, if you live in a a more working class or a lower income class part of the world, you'll understand how important the first of the month is. But the third of the month is just as important. There's a lot of Social Security um, payments, disability insurance payments. Um, you know, a lot of people, if you're going into a weekend, they'll get paid on the 5th and the 20th. So they usually get paid on the 3rd if the 5th falls on a Sunday. So there's a lot of people in the branch. You know, I never really put a hard number to it, but I'm going to say it's three to five times more busy than an average day just because everyone has money and everyone wants to take it out. We were blocked out from taking vacations the first week of the month. We can't. You know, they, if you had a doctor's appointment, and that's the thing too, if you're pregnant and you you had a doctor's appointment on May the 3rd, your manager would kind of suggest, they couldn't tell you directly, but it's like, you know what, Do you, is there going to be any openings on the 4th for that doctor's appointment? Because the 3rd, we're going to need you here. So the 3rd, what for whatever reason, was so important to the bank that, you know, one, you couldn't take off. And if you had a medical reason too, they'll find every way to tell you, hey, don't take off. Two, you barely took lunch. I can't tell you how many third of the months um, I would miss lunch because we were so busy and, of course, understaffed, just like every Bank of America was. And, and thirdly, you just leave that day being so exhausted. It's more of a service day. It's more people withdrawing money. Yet, you get chewed out for not making sales that day. And it's really difficult stuff because the people that go in are the ones that are on a fixed income they don't have money for new accounts they don't have money for loans so theoretically the volume that goes in there in the day it screws you up as a salesperson because if you have a thousand people go into your branch and you only have four accounts you get looked upon like an idiot like you like you don't know what the hell you're doing because you only open up four accounts and there was a thousand people yes but they're all 80 years old and they're all disabled and they're all needing this money to pay the rent and buy groceries for the month. And guess what? They're never going to shop again from the third of the month until the next third of the month because they don't have any money. So I would, I would hate getting chewed out on those days. And April of 2018, I had a sales month that wasn't great. I, In fact, I had one business account that I had to open up at the end of the month. Otherwise, I would have got a write-up for not hitting a certain threshold of my percentage. So I got that with one day to spare. Thank God I remember how frustrated I was. And May rolled around and I wanted a fresh start. So I opened up an account that morning for someone. And then there was a young lady that walked in about 10 o'clock in the morning on May the 3rd. And she was nice, you know, presentable looking, you know, person. She was 24, 25 years old. I forget how old she was. And, you know, immediately anyone that age is in my wheelhouse for conversation. If you're a guy or girl ages 22 to 35, you're in my generation, you know, I can talk to you about sports or popular music and I can get along with you as if we, you know, were friends or went to school together or something. So seeing someone who's, you know, that age and, and, and female, it was easy for me to talk to them. And, you know, I saw that they needed a new account and I was excited because I was like, hey, I get a new account. And plus, I get to, you know, talk with a nice person for 20 to 30 minutes. So um, I won't disclose the full name of the person that, that got me fired. I'll, I'll, her first name is Samantha. So I'll say Samantha walked into my office. And it was cool. It was a really cool experience. You know, it was it was someone who was easy to talk to. And, and it's hard to try to open an account sometimes because a lot of people hold things close to the vest. 
but you know she was saying well i have these two paychecks i'm a i'm a server at you know this restaurant over here and no one wants to cash them for me but they did suggest that i open an account and i was like well yeah you know we don't open accounts just to cash checks i would want you to have an account to you know use elsewhere or whatever you know not just to use the cash because it, it, it defeats the purpose of having an account you know because i'm not one to open an account and to get a fee charged just for the sake of having it you know i doing the right thing was important to me so if i lost an account um for the reason that i knew that this person wasn't going to really use it i'm not going to decline it but at the same time i just want to let them know hey you know this is what's going to happen if you know you don't deposit money whatever i want you to make the decision based on that not on the fact of the right now talk think about the future is this really worth having and if the answer is yes then go right ahead and open the account for them so she had you know two checks that were you know it was like 120 dollars each they weren't humongous checks they were uh, checks from a restaurant that I went to that I was familiar with and we had the conversation so you know the same conversation you have whenever you open an account have you banked with us before and that's not a reason to pry and probe it's more of a well if you banked with us before I probably have your name in the system thus shortening the time to open the account so she said I think I did she was from Indiana so I was, I was like, okay well what's your social so she gives me her social social security number. I type it in, and it's not it's not populating, so it's not loading up. So I'm like, well, it doesn't say that you did. It was like maybe the Bank of America that you um, banked at was sold to another company. I mean, that happened to us before, so I wasn't really quite sure what was going on. I was like, well, maybe we're out two forms of ID, uh, driver's license, and if you have another bank's card, that's fine. Social security card would be great, student ID. So she gives me two forms of ID. She gives me a driver's license and she gives me um, a bank card. It was a, a check card. So I fill in her name, put in the date of birth. Um, I put in the social social security number as she gave it to me. Type in where her address was on the ID. But I said, do you live there now? No. Where do you live? Well, I live here in town and I'm staying with a friend for the summer. So I type in the you know the address where she's getting her mail out for the summer and then i said how long have you been there three months so i put that old address on there to confirm that that was her previous address where do you work at i already knew the answer to that so i put you know server at this restaurant for two months now ids fill it in it was an indiana driver's license typed in the indiana id put the issue and expiration date simple as that the debit card you put debit other financial institution you put the last four digits of the number, you put the bank where it's at, so it'd be like WF Visa, Wells Fargo Visa, or Bank of the West MasterCard. You just put that, you know, put the full number, and you just put the expiration date. That way you can kind of placate the system to letting you go to the next screen. Is this person a student? No, they're not a student. Contact info, is your number still this? Yes, it is. Your email address, okay, that's your email address as well. Any other phone numbers or contact information? No? Okay, that's fine. So let me go ahead and hit submit. So once you fill in all that information, the bank system, much like other bank systems out there, and I know because I've had co-workers um, that have moved on to Wells Fargo, U.S. Bank, Bank of the West, uh, Chase, uh, they've, they, and um, what's another one? BMO was another bank that one of my uh, friends actually worked at. The the systems are the same. the 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 process is the same. You 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 know data input, put all their information in. You hit submit. The system 
reaches out to check systems, which is the company that actually approves or declines your account based on previous bank history. If you owed money at another bank, guess what? It's not just as easy to open up an account somewhere else. That's going to be a note on your system saying, hey, you owe Wells Fargo $300. You got to go take care of that before you open up an account with us. And banks will decline, decline you for that. So we get to the point where, you know, we get to the screen where it's going to approve or decline the account. And it says approved on the screen that I have. So that's good. That means the system approves it. But it also has a supervisor override note on there. And it says SSI or SSN not found does not match, which is typical. So it, what, what that pop-up was is if someone doesn't really open up bank accounts, if they're 20 years old and they're opening up their first bank account, or let's say they're a brand new United States citizen and they got a brand new social security number, first time that number's ever used and that person's my age, 36 years old. Check systems will actually flag that saying, hey, this looks a little weird, just double check this for you. So for her, it said, you know, may not have been issued, please verify. There's a protocol for that. So whenever there, there's not a there's a message like that you gotta you gotta look at the rules and say okay may not have been issued social security number what do you have to do to rectify this please view the physical card type in the full card number and name as it appears on social security card that's what the rules said with bank of america so i said well it's letting me um, open an account for you today but it is asking for a social security card can i borrow your social security card i just need to put in the number and your full name and just put a note on there saying that i viewed it so I type in the number, I put her name as it appears on, on her card, and it says approve override, and then I already had my, my bank ID stuff already kind of grayed out, meaning that it already knew who I was, so once I click OK, it was going to approve it. So I type in all that information, our process was to, to print the screen showing that we did that, turn it in at the end of the day to our manager, and carry on. So I print the screen, I hit approve, and then it says OK, approve to open an account cool not really familiar with how she was planning on banking though i asked the questions i asked her well you know i know that this restaurant doesn't offer direct deposit what are your plans for the next six months do you plan on working here or do you plan on going somewhere else and we kind of went into a deep dive about well i actually plan on moving to oregon um i'm a writer i i, I have a travel blog and um, we're going to travel all across the, the western part of the country and write stories and camp out and just have fun, me and my friends. I was like, oh, man, that's so cool. And I said, you know what? I write, too. I've written a couple of books. I've, I've loved to blog. I've been blogging since I was 19 years old. And, and all of a sudden, I felt this kind of like kinship as a, as a fellow writer with this person there. And I was like, that's so cool. So I said, you're basically going to pick up odd jobs wherever you can, whether it's bartending or whatever and she said yeah i'm just gonna have fun you know she says screw it i'm young i want to i want to enjoy life and i want to write about it i was like hey that is awesome i wish i could do something like that you know I, I was really proud of that person at that point so talking about it i made a decision to open up an account called the safe balance checking account which is an account that's not tied to direct deposit so the account's not free it you know your account your main account is free with direct deposit you know, if you have a steady income, steady job coming in. But for someone who is over the college age and can't get the free account, I decided on Safe Balance said, hey, this is going to charge you $4 a month. And my selling point for that was don't look at it as a as a monthly service fee. Look at, look at it like a gym membership. Look at it as your way to be able to cash and deposit your checks, 
get change for the laundromat if you need that. You, you know, you're paying a fee to access a lot of services is basically what I'm saying. I'm not, I didn't say it as a, we're charging you because you don't have enough money. I knew how to sell that account. I knew how to make it sound like, hey, it's worth four ninety five a month. And you know what? To be quite honest with you, not defending this company that I worked for, but $4.95 is not a bad amount of money to have a lot of services that you wouldn't normally have. I'd rather you pay that to them than pay for some prepaid debit card that offers you absolutely no services. So I sold the safe balance account with the debit card. We did online banking as well. And you know, we got everything set up. It was a normal conversation that we had you know, with the account. And basically I said, well, we'll deposit the checks to open the account. It's going to take a couple of days for the money to clear since we're going into the weekend. I was like, but you'll have access to this and here's a debit card and you'll be able to use everything. So let me go print out the paperwork. Normal paperwork prints out. I go over it the way that I normally do. The schedule of fees, the terms and disclosures, the third party marketing stuff that all that junk that they put go over the account and routing number give her a direct deposit form in case something ever changes then i have a signature card one piece of paper that requires her signature and from there the account's open it's a contract so she signs it dates it so what i do because it was the third of the month's busy i never really saw my branch manager until the end of the day because we're two offices down but i just never got a chance to talk to her I would just paperclip the, the printout of showing that I overrode the system along with the signature card and I would turn it in at the end of the day. She trusted me. Obviously, I had supervisor authority. I trusted myself. It wasn't a big deal. Take that girl out to the ATM. Uh, we deposit the checks. She gets credit for $100, I believe, and then the rest of it's like Monday or Tuesday. And, you know, we shake hands and we exchange email addresses because um, I wanted to get her blog address. And then I was actually was going to send her a link to my Amazon page to buy my latest book. Funny enough that she was going to give me a free blog and I was going to have her buy a book that I wrote. You know, yeah, it's it's kind of bordering on the edge of unethical trying to sell my products, um, you know, along with Bank of America's products to the same person. But... When you're a writer, you like to read and you like to be inspired to write. So I, I saw it more as that way and I was really interested in how she wrote and what she had to say. So that was the end of the conversation. That was the last time I ever saw her. Nothing happened for three months after that because we were announced that we were going to close. It wasn't a big deal. So I was going to move to the other branch August the 8th. So I basically had three months and change to work at this other place while I was getting transferred. So it wasn't really a big thing to me, and it wasn't really something that I necessarily remembered. Then we closed down the branch, and the day that we closed down the branch, the person who was our regional manager was there to help us officially close the branch, help us box up all the paperwork and all that stuff. So we had, you know, we had company the whole day, and it was it was so bizarre because. I was walking around trying to box things up and still trying to help people, trying to open accounts and stuff while um, in the closed branch because, I mean, they're still Bank of America clients despite the fact that that building's not going to be there anymore. So our regional manager kept on saying these weird cryptic things about, oh, you know, Bank of America is such a great place to work. You know, we, we really have the best benefits for any bank out there. And you guys should be thankful that you're sticking with this company because it's really, really a great place to work. And I just kept saying to myself, Jesus Christ, why is she selling me on the fact that it's a great place to work? I know it is. I've been here 13 years. 
I'm excited to go to this new branch, new experiences, new faces. And she's like, you know, it's really great to work here. And she kept on saying that. And I, it, it just bugged me on that last day. I'm like, well, why the hell is she saying that? It just, it, it just really rubbed me the wrong way. I didn't mention it to anyone at the time, but I kept that in the back of my head. It's like, there's, there's no reason for her to be selling me on how awesome it is to work here. I go to the other branch the next day, you know, it's, it's awkward, it's uncomfortable, and you sit in an office that you're not familiar with, you try to sign into the computers, and guess what, you can sign into the computers, my name wasn't accepting um, on that branch, so any accounts that I opened were getting credited to the now closed branch, I'm like, well, what the hell's going on, you figure that they announced that they're closing three months later, you know, that they're going to move all my paperwork over to the correct branch on the day that we're supposed to move, so it was really awkward. I couldn't do certain things. I couldn't do wire transfers. I couldn't see certain screens because I didn't have access to that branch's um, information. I just found it weird that they weren't working on it. And I felt that way for the first three days. There's always these glitches, and I was getting pressured by my new manager. Like, why, why are you going so slow, James? What's going on? Like, this computer's not working. It's not working, period, and I don't know what's going on. It, it, it's It's saying that I don't exist, basically. And she's like, oh, okay, yeah, no, well, we'll just have to deal with it until everything gets right. So that following Monday, I get there, which is August 13th of last year. I'm helping uh, this lady, and she kept on talking about supplementary income. She was um, a nurse by trade, but she kept on talking about, oh, I do life coaching on the internet, and um, I used to be a tarot card reader, you know, a few years back. I, I, I find ways to add on to what I make that way I can live a comfortable life. And it was just this weird, also cryptic conversation about finding every which way to kind of earn money. <laughs> so I was, I was saying, no, it's a good idea. It's like, I'm an author. I, you know, I published a couple books and I get a $50, royalty check every couple of months. And it's nice. I was like, it buys groceries. It's not a million dollars, but it actually helps me, you know, with the bills and whatnot. So talking to her about the supplementary income and waiting for some screen to load up while I open this lady's account, I check my email um, since everything's processing and I get a couple of garbage emails from the bank that they always send, you know, talk to your customers about this new low auto loan rate. It's 0.25% less this week. So today is the beginning of auto loan week. So talk to all your customers about that, all this junk. You think customers get you know, junk emails, uh, you know, all the time. Well, guess what? The employees get twice as much and it's just half half as interesting. It's just, this is what you should sales pitch is basically what it is. And it's just ridiculous. You know, if you train someone to do a job, let them do it their way and they'll be good at it. So look at that. And then I see this urgent Bank of America corporate internal investigations email. And I was like, what the hell is that? And it was really official. Like, Mr. Baca, I would like to discuss accounts you reviewed, uh, review some accounts that you opened up this past summer. My name is so and so, and please contact me at this. I would like to see you at our 201 Plaza, I forget the address number, financial center in El Paso, Texas, Tuesday at 9 a.m. And it's Monday, and this was like 3 p.m. Monday, so I'm like, Crap, I gotta go to El Paso tomorrow? And I looked at it and I was like, Bank of America Corporate Internal Investigations? What the hell is that? And immediately I go into what did I do, you know? So I go into what did I do mode and I go to my manager and I was like, what's that email about? He's like, oh, no, they they want to talk to you about some account that you opened or something. 
And it just seemed like she knew more information than she was letting on. So I was like, okay, well, what did I do? And no one would tell me anything. They said, go go to the investigator Tuesday at 9 at the Plaza Branch and discuss what you know. I was like, know about what? <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. So, you know, we leave for the day. And I'm at home. And I didn't mention anything to my wife. But I was so nervous. And I was so, like, just thinking of every single person. I, I don't have a photographic memory, but I have a really good memory. So I was trying to remember every kind of like weird person that I helped the last couple of months. I was like, could it be this person? Or maybe this business account was weird. What did I do that was wrong? Never thinking that it was the person that I had mentioned a few minutes before. So I, I was there and I went to the gym and I couldn't work out. I just was like, I'm just waiting to know who it is. Because I'm sure there's a logical excuse for why this thing triggered. I was like, it doesn't make any sense. So I lay there in bed until 3 in the morning, knowing that I had to wake up at 6 in order to drive to El Paso in that gridlock traffic to get there before the meeting that um, that I was going to have with the investigator. So I was just racking my brain. And then the drive was no music. It was just silence. I was just thinking my own thoughts. I'm like, what are they going to say? What are they going to do? Are they going to fire me right away? I don't even know what's going on. So I get to the I get to the Plaza Center, and I go to speak to a uh, a teller, and the teller is basically the teller is basically saying, "Oh yeah, there's someone waiting for a James. Yeah, I'm James. Yeah." And then all of a sudden, this investigator comes in. She tells me she's ex FBI or something. So she introduces herself and. You know, I I'm nervous, but I'm ready. I'm I'm used to any type of conversation that's awkward. You know, I've worked at a bank for so many years, so nothing is really too awkward for me. So basically, she sits down and she's like, "Well, I'm here to talk to you about certain accounts, and I want to let you know that in, in um, you know, if you need a few minutes to to gather your thoughts or your emotions once we're done with our conversation, by all means, excuse yourself and go to the restroom and all that." And I was like. Why would I need that? I mean, are you going to make me cry? Like I, like, I wasn't trying to be flippant about it. But I was like, well, why are you telling me that I'm going to need to go excuse myself to gather my thoughts? I'm like, what What the hell is going on? It was very freaky. It just felt like this... It almost felt like the Secret Service. It just felt like this internal secret, you know, no one knows about it police thing where I'm sitting there and I'm about to be grilled about something I don't even know about. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Why is she going to tell me that I'm going to need a few minutes? So I'm, I'm nervous. I'm already feeling it. And I'm like sweating. My palms are sweating. And then she says, well, on May the 3rd, you helped a woman by the name of Samantha. And then, and you know, she said the last name. And I wanted to talk to you about the account that I opened with her. And I was like, what's that last name? The writer. And, and immediately I jumped up like it was a game show question. I was like, I know, I know that person. I know exactly who you're talking about. What, what do you need to know? And then she mentions um, the whole, the the prompt for an override for the social security number. And I was like, oh, I know exactly what happened. Yeah, so she said that she banked in Indiana and she had an account. But there was a screen that didn't pop up for me like it normally would. So I had to create another screen. And so when that system popped up, I viewed three IDs, not two that I needed. I viewed three IDs, put the social security number in saying that I viewed it. And I um, accepted the override and I opened the account. So I, I was like, well, what's the what's the problem with that? And then she says, well, 
the problem is she already had a profile. I was like, yes, I understand. And I couldn't do anything with it because it didn't let me edit it. So I had to create another one per the rules. And I was going to combine and merge the profiles and it was going to be one normal procedure. And she says, well, it turns out that the social security number that she gave you was not correct. I was like, what do you mean it's not correct? I, I held it. I, I typed it in. I viewed it. I was like, well, it's it's flagging as not a correct social in our system. And the thing that concerns me, James, is you were on a screen for 21 minutes um, and nothing had changed. And you had time to review the error and you had time to basically correct it to make sure you didn't have you weren't out of compliance. I was like, what do you mean I was on the screen for 21 minutes? It, well, it didn't move. Why, why didn't the screen move? What were you trying to do? I was like, I was talking to my customer. So when we open an account, we have these little plastic things and we point out the type of accounts, you provide recommendations. Guess what? They have questions too. We were talking about certain things, why I think this account should be better and what are the pros and cons of it. I said I was doing my job. I said I, I literally was telling her about the different products we have. I'm, you know, And I said I'm sorry that I was frozen on that screen for 21 minutes, but everyone has their way of doing the um, the new account play, and that was my way of doing it. I stopped there, offered the account, and I left the account frozen with the screensaver after five minutes. So it didn't really matter. The account information was saved. And she said, well, the problem is you were waiting that long on the screen. And also, you know, now that we have this, this note saying that it was out of compliance with the social, it makes me believe that you were trying to do something. I was like, well, what, am I, what was I trying to do? I was like, I was trying to open an account for a girl in need. She was telling me stories about leaving a, an abusive relationship and leaving Indiana. She had got a DWI or something stupid like that. And she wanted to move, you know, away from the people that were bothering her. And she wanted to live in New Mexico with her friend, start a life, start a new life and go travel. You know, yeah, I can't disclose all this information to the investigator I'm talking to because like, well, why does this guy know so much? But... At the same time, I knew I knew so much about this person that it was ridiculous, and I knew the things they were saying were not true. I said I was just trying to help her. I was trying to be helpful, and 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 she said, "Oh yeah, you know, you're trying to be helpful." I was like, "Yes, I was trying to be helpful," and the way she said it made it sound like she was mocking me. She's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, you were trying to be helpful." Yeah, I legitimately was. So. She said, well, um, I need you to write a statement explaining uh, what happened, what you told me, and then um, I'll be in the other office, so give it to me when you're done. So I'm a writer, and I wrote everything that I told her, everything that I said in this podcast to a T. I explained everything up to, up to and including the next person that I helped and what was going on through the course of that day with my computer and all these override screens and everything. I remembered everything. So I was writing it down, maybe it took 15 minutes, and she only gave me two pages, but I wrote front and back on both of those, and I was already on page four of my little declared statement. I figured more is more here. I figured the more information I would give, the more that I can explain every single step of what happened to exonerate me, essentially. So I'm still writing on page four, and she walks in, she says, are you done yet? I was like, no, I'm still writing. Well, what are you writing? I'm writing everything that you told me to. I was like, I'm a writer. I love to write. I love to explain things. So it's I'm probably going to need some more paper. I said, well, you can wrap it up. Just hit the key points and just wrap it up. So I fill out all four pages and I, you know, sign it. And I give it to her. And, you know, 
I say, and, and, and I talked to her, I was like, hey, where are you from? You're from Dallas? And I was like, you came here just for me? And I said, no, I got some other business in El Paso, and I figured that I could interview you while I was here. And I was like, okay, that's weird. So I come to find out that that same day that they come to interview me and investigate me, um, four people from the Plaza San Jacinto branch in El Paso were fired and escorted outside the building because apparently they were opening up fake accounts or they were doing something unethical. I don't know what they were doing, but... The banker, the branch manager, the assistant manager, all these people were escorted out because I got a text message from my old colleague. And she said, hey, they're cleaning house here today. Were you part of that? And I was like, part of what? I didn't know that that was going on. So this lady came to basically speak with corporate security. She is corporate security, but speak with um, the regional manager to say, we got to get these people the hell out of here. So, you know, several people were fired that weren't me that day and I was just kind of like an extra I was caught up in that that shrimp and net you know if you will so it's funny I, I get to the point where I feel I feel okay about the statement I talked to her and she seemed cordial she seemed nice she gave me her card um I'm planning on you know putting her name and card and direct phone number on in my book to be quite frank with you because I just do I feel it's warranted after what happened to me and before I left, I was like, hey, do you think I can have a copy of uh, my statement that I wrote in regards to that? And so, well, we scan it and we'll send you over a copy by email. I was like, okay, fair enough. I, I didn't think I was going to get fired. Or at least I thought there was a chance that I wouldn't get fired. I didn't know what was going on still. So I go into the garage, I talk to my wife, and I say, there's probably a 52% chance that I'm going to keep my job. It just It just seems weird that all this is going on. I don't understand what's happening. So I drive back to the branch it's like 1 p.m i'm tired you know i didn't sleep and then it was a pretty grueling conversation to have um with the investigators so my manager basically says go home for the day go take a nap and see you tomorrow so you know the next two days i'm freaking out and then it was that wednesday afternoon two days before i got fired i was just asking you know my new manager's like well have you heard anything? What's going on? Is it going to be a slap on the wrist or do I have to worry about my job? I don't know what's going on. I'm freaking out and I can't focus and I can't open new accounts. I don't know what's what the deal is. I'm not feeling productive. Then she levels with me and she says that she reported my offense or what she perceived to be my offense to corporate security. And she says, well, I would lose my job if I didn't report it. I was like, what's there to report? The system was broken. This is why it was broken. And this is why you couldn't find this person on the system. And she's like, oh, I understand that now. Understand that now, now that there's a corporate officer involved. And I have to worry about losing my job. It was really terrifying. So after she told me that she basically was the one that kind of... I hate saying ratted me out because I didn't do anything wrong. She reported this glitch that ended up costing me my job you know, to this to the corporate office, it made it seem like there was more nefarious things going on. And that's one thing I forgot to mention with the investigator. She told me that there was um, no fraud on the account. She said the account's fine. You know, she used it to deposit checks and she made purchases. The only thing that is considered a loss by the bank is the monthly maintenance fee for the safe balance account of $4.95 a month. So she said basically the loss on the account for the bank is $4.95. I was like, well, okay, I understand. It's the cheapest account we have. <clears throat> so that Thursday rolls around. It was a pretty successful day. I opened up business accounts. I opened up a couple of credit cards. I, I helped a college girl with her first credit card, and her dad was there. It was this big proud moment, and that was the last person that I ever helped. 
And while I was helping her, I get this appointment notification to talk to my regional manager at 9.15 a.m. by conference call. And I was like, they're not really going to fire me by conference call, are they? That must be a good thing. Maybe I'll get a write-up or something. But conference call? Why Why at 9.15 on a Friday? It doesn't make any sense. So, you know, I leave. And I, before I left, I talked to the branch manager. She's like, oh, well, I don't know what's going to happen. We'll see you tomorrow. Can you wear um, football gear? Because it's the beginning of football season. So we're all wearing jerseys and everything on that Friday. I couldn't I couldn't sleep. I stayed up all night. In fact, my wife and I stayed up more past her bedtime than any night in that month. There was this big thunderstorm going on. And just loud thunder. Just, just blasting everywhere. And it was just it was pretty scary outside. And I just remember just like how ominous that it's just this scary, gloomy day on the day that I might lose my job. So I go to sleep finally and I wake up and normally I post something funny or something interesting to Facebook just to get the day going. And the only thing that I could think of in my head was I typed in the phrase today's judgment day and it sounded like so ominous like I'm going to go like, you know, on a killing spree or they're going to kill me or something. But I just wrote that. I remember posting and I'm just like, well, what the heck is going on? Going to the branch. We have a little... um, kind of a halfy meeting, not even half meeting, it's like five minutes, and they're like, well, I gotta go talk to, um, you know, our manager over the phone, so she closes the door, she talks to our manager over the phone, I'm like, oh man, I think I'm gonna get fired, and then I've seen so many people get fired over the years in the bank, and I see how the assistant manager walks around, now she's kind of trying to keep everyone busy, I see how there's no, like, acknowledgement to me, and I'm like, I really think I'm up for the hit squad over here. So I just look at everyone walking around. It's so ominous and scary. And then I just closed my door because I knew that we were opening the doors. And then I went into uh, the branch manager's office at 915. And they said, basically, James, uh, due to the violation and infraction that you had on May the 3rd, 2018, we are terminating your relationship effective immediately. This is my regional manager saying this over the phone, mind you. Um, please enter your time into the very minute and um, take all your belongings and thank you so much for working with Bank of America the last 12 plus years um, best of luck to you in your future endeavors I was like wow what and I, I I was so numb I didn't want to cry I didn't want to be angry the only thing that I came up with was well thank you for the opportunity uh, for working here I really appreciate it I wish it would have ended better but uh, moving on and moving forward, thanks again for all your all that you've done. And this is my regional manager I'm talking to. And she's, oh, no, well, thank you, James. I really appreciate your efforts, whatever. And it sounded kind of cordial, but it was really fake, knowing what I know now about what happened with me. It was so frustrating. And I talked to my branch manager for 30 minutes. Well, I can't believe this is happening. And she kept on saying, you'll get another job at a bank, James. You'll find another job in 30 days, I bet you. Well, it's been nine months and I haven't found one yet. And, you know, just use some money. If you have to take some money out of your retirement or your 401k to pay the bills, so be it. We all have to make crazy decisions like that. Can't find my 401k or my retirement with Bank of America. They don't answer my calls, nor do I exactly know what became of that. And it's scary to me because this money is just missing right now. Something I need to look for um, really soon, I guess, because I'm running out of money. So uh, we got to figure this out. And we talk, and she was nice about it. I, I know in retrospect, she probably didn't think it was going to be this far escalated to where I would lose my job. So, you know, we ended the, the conversation. She's like, so I got to go do the walk of shame now, huh? 
you got to go follow me to go get my things and all that. Here's my keys. Can I just go get my stuff? Just do the walk of shame and say, go. And she's like, James, I'm not going to do that to you. You worked here too long, and I'm not going to do that to you. Go ahead and get your things and come back in, and, and um, you know, that'll be that. I didn't have anything in that office because my computer was so messed up. They didn't even have an office for me when I went there, which is weird to me because if they didn't have an office ready for me three months into the announcement that they were closing the branch, it made me feel like it was inevitable that I wasn't going to keep my job. All I had was my notary certificate, my notary stamp, a few pens, and a couple of knickknacks that I brought in um, just for my office whenever it was ready. I got those. I didn't even need a box for it. And I shook her hand. I gave her a hug. And I said, thank you so much. I wish we could have worked together more. And I left. And that was the last time I worked at Bank of America. It's a 40-minute conversation. I, I thought I was going to get this done in 25 minutes, guys. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to tell you really briefly why I think I got fired unjustly. The simple fact that banks are understaffed um, basically means you're shorthanded. The manager is stretched thin. Okay, the manager has so many burners going, it's ridiculous. So someone who's been there 10 to 15 years like myself, who's essentially a manager, manager of sales, they gave me the opportunity to override my own screens. They said, well, if you feel comfortable opening the account and all the documents are right, we're going to give you this authority to sign off on your own stuff, basically. It's a scary tool because, yeah, they can you can Wells Fargo the hell out of people. You could open up a bunch of fake accounts if you wanted to, I guess. So they gave me this tool to say, hey, if something's wrong, you don't have to bother the manager. Just type it in and you should be fine. So I would do that, not regularly, but so often, you know, just whenever I would need it. But I felt comfortable in the IDs that I took that I was like, why not? I can do this. And then with that Samantha girl, I, I had all the IDs. So it, it wasn't anything that was weird for me. It was a normal account opening just like anything else. So that being said, the fact that they give short-staffed banking centers this extra authority, give me that extra authority, leads me to believe one thing. I believe, and there's an old co-worker of mine, she was a friend, she's no longer a friend. We had a huge falling out, there's a lot of things going on, but she had this very to-the-point thing that she said about two days before she got fired. She said, when they want to get rid of you, they'll get rid of you, they'll find a way 100%. I really sincerely believe, and if there's any Bank of America former employees that listen to this podcast and you had something similar happen to you, here's the one thing that I believe. I believe the supervisor authority that they gave me is kind of targeted for people that they probably want gone because you can basically claim that you used it wrong, They that they can claim that you used it wrong to open up almost any account because it's not like I'm going to make a photocopy of this girl's social security card. So the fact that I say that I viewed it is supposed to be word enough that I viewed it. So there's no there's no way of kind of retroactively saying, well, I held the card. There was a soda stain on the corner of it or something. No, like I can't keep a copy of her information and we're not allowed to make photocopies of IDs like that. Except for whenever someone's a, a international student, another podcast from another day. So I viewed it. And they're saying that I didn't, that I did it wrong or I did something incorrectly. So basically, it's a he, he said, she said game that I was never going to win. And um, one of my coworkers from the same branch got fired six weeks after I got fired for the exact same thing. And I, I talked to her about it and exact same thing. She used her override and they said that that override that she used was 
incorrect, and they fired her on the spot for that, despite the fact she worked there several years as well. It was ridiculous. So I'm of the belief that I think they kind of use this short staff thing to their advantage when they really want to get rid of something. They kind of put too much on that associate's plate. So all it takes is for one infraction, a $4.95 loss by me to lose a job that I had for 13 years that I never missed a day of work. And, and, and guys, that's really just disheartening. So if you think about how they treat their employees like that, you got to think, well, how are they treating the clients? I'm living proof of that, guys. I worked there 13 years, and I got fired for a smaller amount of money than it takes to, to buy a value meal at McDonald's, okay? Like, if you want to buy just a Big Mac, a medium fry, and a medium drink, it's going to run you like $6. I got fired for $2 less than that. And... I really think the processes that the bank has is kind of set up, you know, kind of like a casino. The house always wins. Their processes are set up to basically find a way to catch you in something like that and get rid of you if they really don't want you there. Fact of the matter is they went from having two understaffed banks to having one really overstaffed bank and they wanted to get rid of some people. So they said, well, what can we get this guy on? I always used... um, the the example the analogy that hey they never got al capone for the murder of 20 people you know or how many people he killed probably hundreds of people over the years how did the feds finally bust al capone for tax evasion and i said that was my thing too all the unethical crap that i did on behalf of bank of america myself and all the things that bank of america does and they fire me on a technicality and they fire other people on a technicality too and they have so much power that it's scary, guys. And my friends, that is exactly why your bank sucks. I didn't think I would go on for this long about this topic, but it was the one-year anniversary of it, and I just wanted to acknowledge it and move forward. Uh, this story, along with some more details, are in my book that's coming out. Uh, bank of America nearly made me homeless, and I work there. Uh, coming soon to Amazon. So if you wanted to hear more detail on this, it's going to be available um, in ebook and paperback format very, very soon. Uh, since we're at 46 minutes on the podcast, I'm going to take one promotional consideration and I'm going to come back with a listener call. So back in just a minute. So we have one call today on the bank Scuda's voicemail line. Since we ran a little long with the discussion that I had about my firing at Bank of America, how it was triggered one year ago this week. Uh, today's call is going to be actually from Sean White. Hello, my name is Sean White and I am in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I'm going to tell you why my bank sucks, which is Bank of America. Uh, One of the things that they did was I put a stop payment on a check to somebody. And about two weeks later, they paid the check. And I was like, what's up? You guys paid the check. And you took my 30 bucks to stop the payment, and they paid on it. And I fought them, and I took it to the Better Business Bureau and everything. And they just said, oh, nope. We, we don't have to pay on that because it was one of these, like, e-paychecks or whatever. But I called up. I told them they took my money. They said they would stop payment on this check, and they didn't. And it's just kind of ridiculous. You know, it's like I'm they I'm not the expert in banking. They are. If somebody asks to put stop payment on a check, they should stop payment on a check. It's totally crazy. And, it's a, and the amount of back and forth that I've had with them and going into branches and – and just um, that they just give me a dirty look in there. Another thing that just happened with them recently too is 
going through a divorce and I was, I needed to make the payment to sign the papers and I had to have it done. And all of a sudden they put a 10 day hold on something. Actually it was 11 day hold on this check that totally like hold it, held up my divorce. And I went in and it was a check from Wells Fargo for my mother. It was loaning me some money. So I went in um, to, to different branches in my bank and they just like, Oh, just call the 800 number. And then um, my mom went to her bank, and the, in her bank, they actually took care of the problem. And um, in my bank, the manager wouldn't even talk to me. So Bank of America totally sucks. Thanks for all the good work that you're doing. Sean, thank you so much for the call. I really appreciate it. Uh, Sean has been a follower of my at Bank Screwed Us Twitter feed for about a month now. So I know that he's seen all the good work that we're doing, all the ways of helping clients that are disenfranchised with Bank of America, showing them that there's a better way, that there's other banks, there's other fish in the sea out there. And for various reasons why. The one, the first part, I'll get to Sean's first part here, of why he sees why his bank isn't exactly you know the best thing since sliced bread. And it's the fact for stop payments on checks. Now, I've, I've tried to do uh, the podcast about the paper check that I've promised for about two months now. There's always some news going on with B of A that I have to address on the podcast that I've had to delay this podcast. But one of the biggest things with paper checks and stop payments of checks, in my personal opinion, being a banker, doing this service for so many people, I will say it right now, and I don't, I don't mince words with this. The $30 stop payment fee for Bank of America to stop a check payment is a 100% scam. There's, there's no other way that I can say it and be nice about it, be, you know, be gentlemanly about it. It is a 100% ripoff. And I want to tell you why. First of all, it's $30, okay? If the check is for $15 and you're paying a friend or giving a graduation gift to maybe someone you don't really you know, know too well, oh, it's my coworker's granddaughter, so I'm going to write her a $15 check for college, and I don't know who this person is. $15 sounds about right, right? So let's say you, you, you write this check to this person you don't know, and you send it with you know your coworker to give to the, the granddaughter. Coworker has their car broken into checks stolen, things stolen from her car, and it's a mess. So she's telling all the people that she got checks from, hey, you know what, my car got broken into and they had one of your checks. So all of a sudden you're like, oh crap, my check has my routing and account information on there, I got a place to stop payment on it. You go to the bank and it's like, well, it's a $15 check made payable to whatever the girl's name is, and yeah, it was a graduation gift. Um, When did you write the check? Oh, I wrote it yesterday? I th- yeah, it was yesterday's date on the check, you know, and it was made payable to this person. Um, Diane Smith, $15. Oh, okay, sounds good. So what the banker does is they read you this crazy disclosure saying, you're authorizing a stop payment on account number, whatever your account number is, to stop the payment in the amount of $15 to Diane Smith, uh, check number 4242, in the amount of $15 and no cents. And, and I'm paraphrasing here because I forgot the exact verbiage. I wish I would have taken a picture or just had a better memory of it. But essentially it says, any variation of the amount, name, or the date can cause the check to be paid. Other ways that the check may be paid is if the check has already been processed by a paying bank. Meaning that if I wrote the check to you on a Monday and you went Monday afternoon to Wells Fargo to cash it or deposit into your account, 
it's already in the system and it's too late to stop it. It's going to go through. Basically, they're giving themselves outs from helping you. So whenever they say, well, if it's already processing or any of the information is, is not correct on it, it still may be paid. So I gave you a couple examples there. So I said check 4242. What if it is 4442 and I was just thinking, you know, not really clearly and I just gave you the wrong check number? Well, it's still going to get paid and you're still going to lose that $30. What if Diane Smith is Diana Smith? It's going to get paid and you're going to lose that $30 and the check's still going to be cashed. And it's going to subject it to fraud. The $15, okay, well, that's right on the money. But if that check was stolen and it's from, you know, Diane to Diane Smith and, and it was Diana Smith. And then the thief who stole the check bleached out the pay to put whatever, you know, that person's name who stole your check. And they put $915 instead of $15. Guess what? The the amount is wrong on the check because you said fifteen and it cashed for nine fifteen and it had a different date than you gave us. It had a different name and it was a different check number. So you lose the money, you lose the check, and you lose the stop payment fee of thirty dollars. So it's a scam because there's so many things. And I used to tell my clients this. I said, you know what? You if you lost the check, please go back to your checkbook. Tell me what the exact number was. Tell me who it exactly was to. Oh, you were making a, a donation to, to the DAV? Did you put Disabled American Veterans or did you put D.A.V. And I would be a hard ass about this, not because I wanted to, but because I know that if they say, hey, I made a check to the DAV and they lost it, if they put Disabled American Veterans and you know DAV is, I'm typing it in that way, the bank's going to pay it and they're going to lose that $30 fee. It's a $30 gamble. You know, if you've ever played blackjack, they have insurance where if the dealer is showing an ace, you could put some money down to protect against the blackjack to lose your money. So basically you lose only half your bet. Um, you lose all your bet <laughs> with Bank of America's stop payment fee. So the $30 fee is essentially, hey, you know, you're going to put this down. We're going to keep this money whether we pay it or we stop paying it. And I can tell you that I didn't do it very often. I stopped doing stop payments whenever I was um, not allowed to waive the fee anymore. There used to be a button to waive the $30 fee, and I would click on it probably more than I should because I didn't feel that it was right that a client was getting charged for that. So once I started going away, I started doing less and less of them. I probably did maybe 10 in the last year. And I and I swear to you, out, out of those 10 that I put the $30 stop payment fee on and I got the information as I knew correctly from customers that I knew. It wasn't some fly-by-night customer that I only met once. These are people that I knew that put stop payments on it. Out of those 10, eight of them probably still got paid through. And Bank of America still hit them with the $30 fee. It made no sense. It's just a silly way of kind of nickel and diming you to death without actually knowing that it's a nickel and diming. They they sell it to you as a we're gonna we're gonna take your money and we're gonna do all that we can to protect this check from being paid through. We're gonna put stops, we're gonna flag it, we're gonna make sure it doesn't hit your account. We're gonna make sure that this person doesn't get paid for this because you're claiming that they shouldn't get paid or it was lost and this check shouldn't be used. You're you're killing it dead with this stop payment. So they're 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 lying in the essence that 
$30 equals full protection for you with this check. Absolutely not. They absolutely do not protect it. it. You know, if it's a straightforward thing, if it's, hey, I paid DirecTV for $97.75 every single month. I have a check number. It's check 113. Yes, your check will be stopped as long as it didn't get processed by them already. But if there's so many variables, like I don't, I'm not sure how I wrote the name. I don't remember the date that I wrote it. I don't remember the exact amount. It was $42 something. I would just take my chances at that point. Don't pay $30 to the bank to do absolutely nothing for you other than take that information down and claim that the information wasn't correct so they had no choice but to pay the check back as well. And the final thing that Sean said was, um, of course, he was talking about how he had to make a payment um, to finalize his divorce. And... He made a payment into an account and it ended up being a 10-day hold, 11-day hold, that was. And, you know, it was a check from Wells Fargo, a big bank. It was from his mom's account. And, you know, he said it. You know, the mom went into the bank and everything was fine. You know, a good bank, and I'm, Wells Fargo has their ups and downs, okay? So I'm not a 100% fan of them as well, but... A good banker, a good bank will treat that customer with respect and say, hey, you know what? This is what happened with this check. And yeah, it, it, it cleared our system already. It went through to this person's account. Here's a statement. Here's a front and back copy of that. That's what a good banker does. So as Sean said, when Bank of America, um, when he walked into a branch and they said, oh, just call the 800 number. That's their way of blowing you off. Anytime they say call the 800 number, that's general customer service. They, they, they are less... They're less attached to your problem than your quote-unquote home branch. So whenever a banker tells you call the 1-800 number, you're actually up for a more uphill battle because you're talking to someone who doesn't know you, who doesn't know your account, who doesn't know the reason behind the check that you're writing and, and all that good stuff. And it actually leads to a worse experience because you're having to retell your story over and over and over again. And you know to have a hold kind of delay divorce proceedings. I've had holds delay home closings. I've had holds delay closures of a dead person's estate account. The holds are ridiculous, and that's a whole other topic for a whole other podcast. But the fact that, you know, his mom, a third party, was kind of trying to finish, you know, finish his affairs for him. I don't mean it that way, but trying to actually just help him with this money. That way he can be done with whatever he needs to be done with. And the bank is all of a sudden extending what is a difficult situation? I'm a child of divorce. You know, I have so many friends that are, you know, divorced as well. Um, it's a hard situation. And to ex to prolong the agony for another 11 days is just beyond me. And that's Bank of America being too overprotective. It's Bank of America just being too steadfast and saying, oh, just call the number. Call the number and we'll see what they could do. They can't do anything because they, they know less about it than the people in the branch. Bad analogy, but I, I think of the old um, Chris Rock comedy bit where, you know, he talks about growing up in a poor household and, you know, we don't have any health care or medical care. All we had is Robitussin. Oh, you got a fever? Robitussin. You broke your leg? Robitussin. I, I got pneumonia? Robitussin. That's what Bank of America's thought is with the 800 number. Oh, you got a hold on your account? Call the 1-800 number. Oh, there's, there's fraud. Call the 1-800 number and let them know that there was fraud. 
their job is to get you out of the branch. Their their job is to not have you sit in an office and complain about these things for an hour because in that hour they could open up two DDAs, which is checking accounts, and two savings accounts for two different people so they could let their boss know that they made more money for their bank. It's exactly why they do it. Bank of America's 1-800 number is Robitussin. That's not a, that's not a product placement sponsor. That's that's a joke, and Bank of America's one eight hundred number is a joke as well because it's used as the end all be all greatest thing in the world by them, and it's actually their worst. Um, well, I guess B of A Twitter is pretty bad, but the phone the phone system is is out there one of the worst things that Bank of America does have. Sean, continue listening, please. Thank you for that. Continue following our journey here. If you ever have any other horror stories, I'd love to hear them. Please tell your friends. Please tell your family about our podcast. Um, This is, in essence, my full-time job right now, and I'm needing to make this work in order to pay the bills. So, guys, if you have friends and family who have issues with banks too, this is the podcast for them. You're going to hear affirmation to your frustrations about the bank anytime you listen to the bank screwed us voicemail line or anytime i talk about topics um you know that i dealt with in my 13 years of working at a bank so i'm going to have a brief promotional consideration and i'm going to wrap it up in just a second thank you so much for listening to today's podcast about the one-year anniversary of the event that led to my firing i really appreciate it a couple of postscripts there i didn't mention about whenever I asked for a copy of the written statement that I gave to Bank of America's investigator that she said, oh, we'll email it to you. And I never got the email. And I'm, you know, honestly, one of the reasons why I'm starting my project is the fact that to be that disingenuous about something as simple as, hey, can I have a copy of my own handwriting? And that wasn't done. It's just frustrating to me. So um, if and when I ever do get a copy of that statement that I wrote, I will include it in any future book or you know any future website project that I will create because I, I really was frustrated about that the most. You know, I poured my heart out in some letter and I was told that I would get a copy and I didn't get a copy of that. Simple as that. There was nothing sensitive about that particular letter except for my own thoughts about what occurred the day that I worked for Bank of America. And the second part of it was, it's actually a surprising thing. Um, I have been in contact with Samantha, the person who um, essentially got me fired for just existing, I guess. <laughs> I, I emailed her a couple of times over the last nine months. Um, I did let her know about my particular project that I have going on uh, with, um, you know, why your bank sucks and everything. And I'm working on landing an interview with her. So if there's a way that I can kind of coordinate that and if she's down to do it, um, I'm going to set up a point in time where we can Skype or we can do a phone uh, podcast interview. I will record that interview and I will post it on a future podcast. It's really important to know that the things that Bank of America claims that you do aren't necessarily um, agreed upon by the people that they say were the victims of that. And um, this person was a nice person. It's just a random interaction. It could have happened to any other associate of Bank of America. I just happened to be the unlucky one to help her at that point in time. So, um contacting and discussing that with samantha i will when in fact we do interview it i will post it to a future podcast so stay tuned on that that might be a lot of fun and that might open up a whole other can of worms thanks so much again for listening to the podcast of course at bank screwed us is our running commentary and vigilante customer service for bank of america at bank sucks pod is our podcast twitter page of course it's just um linking to the podcast and then at James B is right. You can look at my gym pics and Vegas pictures um, on Twitter. It's my personal Twitter page. 
Uh, Bank of America nearly made me homeless and I work there. One of my new books coming out very soon on Amazon. And then Beer Money, a book, a banking book for younger people also coming soon. And The Bank Screwed Us, which is going to be 100 complaints from 100 different people about Bank of America's customer service also um, being released on Amazon. All those projects will have a charitable donation attached to the sales of those books. So once they're released, please buy them, help a good cause out. And um, I'm going to launch a Patreon in the next couple of days. Um, I will tweet out the link. Our goal is to raise enough money to keep this website going, to keep this podcast going full-time, which allows me to pay the bills, which allows me to pay the hosting for the website, which allows me to pay for the hosting of the podcast. It allows me to do what I need to do to continue to talk to you guys about what's necessary with banking. So even if it's, you know, $1 a month, I would gladly appreciate that. I know we could have a greater reach. We just need time. And please, please, once that launches, find it in your heart to donate because I really think we got something good going here, guys. I really do. Uh, my name is James Bach, and I just told you why your bank sucks. So I'll talk to you uh, later on this week with a new podcast, and I hope you have a great day. Goodbye.